Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. In our last episode, we examined the testimony of state witness Kristan Harris, a citizen journalist who shot footage of the events in Kenosha, Wisconsin on August 25, 2020 for his streaming show, The Rundown Live, and captured some of the events leading up to the shootings. On today's episode, we move on to observe the testimonies offered by Kenosha police officers Eric Widener and Jeffrey Van Wee, the men who processed the alleged crime scenes and key pieces of evidence in the case. That's all coming up right after the break. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. On Friday, November 5th, 2021, two Kenosha police officers take the stand to testify about their work in handling the crime scenes and key evidence in the August 25th, 2020 shootings. Prosecutor James Krause questions the officers. The first to take the stand is Officer Eric Widener. Like the other fellow officers who have testified, Widener wears the blue police uniform with vest and holster. His head is shaved. After establishing that Widener has been on the force for 22 years and works as a third shift patrol officer in the downtown area of Kenosha, Krause then prompts Widener to explain how he came to be a witness in the case. At any point, were you directed to go to the uh, area of 63rd Street and Sheridan Road? Yes. Why were you directed to go there? Um, I am an evidence technician also, and I was called to go and process a shooting scene. And they wanted me to process it, uh, photograph it, document it, and collect evidence. So what is an evidence technician? Um, We have special training. Uh, above and beyond what a normal patrol officer has. And we respond to calls of service for like burglaries, anything that needs fingerprinting, uh, shootings, shots fired, um, suspicious deaths, stuff like that. Kind of like what everyone knows as a CSI, but we do it kind of as on patrol. Now, what you said you were there to process the scene, what does that mean? Uh, I was told there was a shooting scene and they wanted me to process it, uh, photograph it, document it and collect evidence. At that point, uh, how many details about the shooting were you given? Uh, none. Just that there's a shooting and a subject was down. Kraus takes the witness through a series of crime scene photos that established that ammunition casings were found that came from both a handgun and a rifle. Widener testifies that he found two 223 caliber casings that night. 223 casings house ammunition rounds for an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle and are ejected after the round is fired. Krauss goes on to ask, Are you aware if any others were found of 223 ammunition? I was told multiple days later that some other ammunition was found. And do you know where it was found? Uh, I was told under a car. That's all I heard. 
did you look under every car for casings? Yes, I looked under cars. With a flashlight or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, with a bleak angle, angle with the flashlight. If you put it on a side angle, um, the shell casings usually pop out at you because they're on a different plane. Um, I didn't see anything under the cars. And, and you're doing this around midnight, after midnight on that evening? Correct. Krauss has another photo presented on the screen. What are we looking at here? That's one of the fired shell casings that I was just talking about. And then number six, which is up on towards the top of the screen, towards the other uh, vehicle that's parked, that was the possible blood that I found. So what is the next thing that you did? I most likely took a medium and a close-up of the possible blood on the, on the ground. And then I noticed there is a black hooded, um, like a full face mask that was to the right or to the north of this picture right here. About how long after the shooting were you processing the scene? I cannot answer, I don't remember. Um, we would have time stamped of that of our dispatch, but I don't remember to be honest with you. But it wasn't like four in the morning at this point? No. So it would have been relatively close to when the incident occurred? If I had a guesstimate, I'd say an hour. Krauss asks Officer Widener about a couple more shell casings that appear to have been unrelated to the Rittenhouse shootings, and then he turns the witness over to the defense. Corey Shirofsky handles the questioning of the officer for the Rittenhouse team. Officer, can you um, tell me, it, when you arrived on the scene, did you locate a, um, a hospital bag with any items in it? What kind of bag are you talking about here? I'm sorry. What kind of bag? Like it's a only grocery been bag or? It's only been described as like a clear hospital type bag. I did not locate that bag, no. Um, how about a fire extinguisher? Not that I can recall. So in a, in a case like this where it's uh, a homicide, um, and you're there relatively quickly after the call comes in, I'm assuming, right? I'm right? not sure how long it took me. I was not one of the first responders. It took me a while to get there from the first responding people. And I think you had said it's, you do kind of like CSI type of work. That's how you described it? For layman's terms, yes. Is the area like taped off uh, that night, do you remember? It was. So there's, you're looking, and I believe you, I'm not questioning. You're looking under cars for spent casings, and you understand that at a time later, a couple of days later, there were more casings that had been located. Is that right? Correct. Um, did you have anything to do with the collection of those? Any involvement in the new in the casings that were found after? No, I did not. James Krause rises for a quick redirect. If you remember. What parameters or what were the perimeter of the crime scene that you were, that you were examining? With the crime scene taping me? Yeah. Uh, when I arrived on scene, the crime scene tape was put up by other officers who responded prior to me. Um, it was on the very south side of 63rd Street, extended from the alley, which is west of the building in question, all the way to Sheridan Road. It crossed Sheridan Road onto the Kenosha Hospital property. I went down the sidewalk northbound uh, towards the other shooting, I guess. Yeah, it's the first that there had been a 
if you know if there had been a crowd around this crime scene earlier in the evening? Once the tape was up? No, before the tape was up. Yes, there's large crowds. And unless you're told specifically in relates to the crime is a empty fire extinguisher or a hospital bag, something you would typically collect? Uh, unless I determine as part of the crime uh, for the investigation, then I would collect it. I had no knowledge of a hospital bag or a fire extinguisher being used in this incident. Corey Shiravasi asks one more recross question. If it was there, would you have put that little card on it, the hospital bag? I would have to determine if it had something to do with this. Um, if it's just blown there from the wind or something like that, then no. If it had no relation to what was actually happening, unless someone would have told me there's a bag involved in this, then I'd be looking for a bag, obviously. Um, we're right across the street from the hospital. I, it could have been a wind. I don't know. I, didn't, I don't remember seeing a bag. Okay. Thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. After Widener steps down from the stand, Officer Jeffrey Van Wee sits for questioning. Like Widener, Van Wee wears the full Kenosha police uniform and his head is shaved, though he sports a very light goatee and appears to be a bit thinner than Widener. Van Wee is an 18-year veteran of the Kenosha force and was responsible for processing evidence collected by the detectives on the case and began that work at approximately 9 a.m. the morning after the shootings. Prosecutor James Krause again handles the direct examination. So what is the first, very first thing you did? First thing I did was to, I, had, I was given two rifle boxes. So I actually took, processed the, the rifles and took photos of them. Now, do you have any special training to do this type of thing? Yes, I do. And what is that? Uh, I'm a certified evidence technician um, for the last 15 years. That means that as far as uh, crime scenes go, that I would, whenever any different kind of crime scene goes, or I would go respond to that scene and I would process that scene for evidence, searching for for whether it's uh, DNA or fingerprint evidence or blood evidence. Kraus then asks Van Wee how he swabbed the evidence. As far as the, the rifles went, um, I actually took three swabs from each rifle. The swabs I, I obtained were from the trigger, from the pistol grip, and then from the, the, the barrel has a guard around there, around the barrel. So I swabbed the, the guard of that barrel because that's the most likely place if somebody's holding that weapon, that their hand would be on that guard. Uh, why would you not, or, or why didn't you swab the actual barrel so when i was given these rifles to process um i was instructed to process them there was there was at that time for my knowledge there was no reason to um swab the barrel 
so you you saw the areas where someone is most likely to actually grip or hold the weapon. Correct. And, and that generally would not be the barrel of a gun. Correct. This is a significant piece of testimony because Anthony Huber is alleged by the defense to have grabbed the barrel of Kyle Rittenhouse's rifle in the moments before Rittenhouse shot him. So what did you do? What's the first weapon that you encountered? It was a rifle box that had was written. It had writing on her. It said Kyle Rittenhouse. So what did you do with that? With that one, I opened the box up. I wound up uh, taking the serial number down, the information out from the weapon, photographing it, and then swabbing it in those areas I just mentioned for DNA. After explaining that he finished the processing of Rittenhouse's rifle by boxing and taping the weapon, Van Wee then testifies that he went through the same process with Dominic Black's rifle. Prosecutor Krauss then pivots back to asking more questions about the Rittenhouse weapon. You said there was a rifle. Was there anything else along with the rifle? There was also a, a sight or a scope, if you will, inside the box. It was not attached to the rifle. Uh, was there anything attached to the rifle? A uh, black sling. And was there any ammunition or a magazine or anything like that? Not in that box. There was a separate uh, bag that had a magazine with live ammunition. And that have one or two magazines? Had one. And was there any markings on that box or that, bag? I was informed by the detectives that was from the, the rifle belonging to the Kyle Rittenhouse. So what did you find when you looked at that magazine? The magazine had live ammunition in it. Do you know how much live ammunition was in that magazine? The magazine itself was a 30 capacity for 30 rounds, and there were 22 uh, live, live bullets in there, unfired and, bullets. And were they all the same brand or were they different brands? They were all the same as, as, as far as caliber goes, but there's multiple different brands in there. And what was the caliber of these? There were two, two, threes. And did you take a DNA swab of that piece of evidence as well? I, I did a swab of the actual magazine. So I took a swab off each side of the, of the magazine. Did you do anything with the information that you got off of the firearms? Um, so we do with every firearm that we log into evidence, we have a form called an E-Trace form. And what that is, is we work with um, in conjunction with like the ATF as far as having a database and a record of every gun that we log in evidence. So with those, both of those rifles, I wound up contacting um, on the telephone an ATF agent who actually did a quick, what they call E-Trace form with me in order to log that, that into um, the database. Krauss returns to his seat, turning the witness over to defense attorney Corey Shirovacy. Shirovacy immediately focuses his questions on the areas of the gun that were swabbed, implicitly calling the jury's attention to the fact that the barrel where Anthony Huber's prints might have been was not swabbed. Your report indicates um, that at KPD, uh, evidence detective Antoranian advised he needed two rifles processed. Um, did he tell you he being Detective Antaramian, the areas that he wanted swabbed by he, you? He did not. Who made that decision? I did. At that point, do you know anything about the case? I, not a whole lot, no. You mentioned that the trigger is swabbed, right? 
Yes. Okay. And I know we don't have the pistol or the, the firearms here. So I'm going to, when you say the barrel guard, is that the area here where I, where my left hand would be if I was holding it like this? Correct. So the barrel of the gun has a plastic, if you would, guard around it. And that's the part that I swallow. Okay. Um, and then the pistol grip, is that the area? Right. That's where your, your hand, your palm would be. So if you're if the trigger's here, your act the pistol grip is where you're actually your hand is holding on to. When the DNA swab is done initially, obviously you're looking for forensic potentially forensic evidence on that gun, right? Correct. But you don't know the areas specifically that you're supposed to be looking at. True? Unless I'm otherwise told. When I process, whether it's a gun or a rifle, it's going to be typically the same areas that we, that I would take swab, obtain swabs from. If, if something, if there was something else for some other reason or rationale that I would have to do things differently, then I would do things differently. But normally to swab a rifle or a handgun, um, just about all our evidence, people would, would choose the same areas. Okay. And I'm not. Right. I'm not questioning that. What I'm asking is, at some point, do you learn more information about this case? As I'm sorry, as far as... I'll ask it to you this way. Did, it, did any detective come to you and ask you to do additional swabs on that firearm now that more information about what had happened was out there? No, did not. If somebody would have asked you to swab based on information they had and they and they said to you officer van we we would like to know if there's dna on the actual barrel of that gun could you have done that absolutely and that wasn't done was it no sharafasi next moves on to ask about other details of the rittenhouse weapon the firearm that you uh i think you opened it that had kyle it's a kyle rittenhouse on it correct okay uh there was a sight on that gun, is that right? There was a sight, it was not mounted on it, it was in the box with it. Okay. If you remember, um, and I'm gonna use the wrong terminology, so I'm not gonna ask for your help. That sight didn't have a laser that projected out where, for example, if I was holding it, I could put a dot on your chest, correct? Not to my knowledge, but I never actually messed with the, with the sight at all, so I never turned it on, I never really viewed it at all, so. Prosecutor Krauss rises for one last question. Are you aware if the defense attorneys asked for further testing of the gun? Uh, I was not informed of any other further testing. And with that, Officer Van Wee is excused, and we conclude this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Join us next week as we examine the testimonies of the final witnesses in the state's case against Kyle Rittenhouse and as we begin our look at the defense case. And join us tomorrow for our weekly recap episode with Abby Smith. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at CrimeStory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karenik, and it was edited by Chris Taracone. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and Trial Audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.